Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Brought your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians, and we continue our series as we are now looking at the first half of chapter 11 this morning. And our theme for this morning is just this, we must live, follow, and worship Jesus in a way that honors God and brings glory to Him. You see, we left off last week, which was actually chapter 11, verse 1, which is part of the thought of the last chapter, where Paul said, I'll tell you what, imitate me. What a great responsibility, but yet what a great privilege for him to be able to say, look, we don't have, they didn't know what the New Testament was because it hadn't been put together yet. All they knew is what Paul had been teaching them, and so they didn't have a Bible. All they had were the stories of what they heard about Jesus but they had Paul's teachings. And so Paul said, look, just follow me. He had to imitate the Gospels because they had not been written yet. And with that, though, Paul also had to do some loving correction. So if you've been taking this journey with us, you have been seeing that Paul has been kind of teaching and reinforcing and also chastising a church that had lost its way, which was the church of Corinth. They started out with great, great ambitions. Matter of fact, Paul was the father that started the church. It was a church plant, so to speak, in the middle of Corinth. But Corinth was just so far from, the the culture was just not even interested in what God would have for their lives. There There was so much sin abound, and the church was struggling to figure out their place in the middle of all that, much like many churches are doing today. This morning, we are going to look at some struggles that they were having in their worship services. And I, I can't say that enough. The, the context of our verses today are within the worship service. You see, one of the biggest problems in the Corinthian church was their lack of order or consideration for one another in the worship services. Some of the women in the worship services were assuming more freedom in the church than they really should have. And people were divided about the Lord's Supper, and they were refusing to use their spiritual gifts. So, let's jump in. And as before we do that, I'm going to pray just because I'm going to go into This is one of those situations where I am so grateful that we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians together. No one in here can say that I was cherry-picking verses. Nobody can say that what's going on that he would have to do this. And also, these things that I'm reading 10 years ago would have felt differently than they do today. And God's word has not changed. But our culture has come so far from center. There are going to be some things that I I pray that when you first hear it, you don't throw the walls up and get defensive. Because these are things, again, that are, it's not my interpretation. It's right here. You can read it for yourselves. And also, I would say, as we are reading these things, don't jump ahead to make it say something it's not saying either. So if we are patient and if we are God-honoring and if we look to the Word as our source, I think we all could learn something from this. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your Word and your Word alone. So as go through this today, Lord, may 
you do the teaching. May your spirit touch our hearts and may you see from the, the, the way that this is presented and the way that it lands, Lord, it is only meant to honor you, Lord. And so, Lord, I, we just take this time and we just give this to you, Lord, and may you speak, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to first off start off and see that worship restoration requires a respect for God's design and one another. A respect for God's design and one another. Now, I know many of you have been out here and probably went to buy some furniture that came in a box that you had to put together, right? Uh, some of you probably looked at the instructions and did everything right. Some of you just said, oh, I got it. And then you put it halfway together and it's leaning to the left and you take it back to the store because it didn't give you the right parts. Not telling them that you didn't look at the directions. Well, the truth of the matter is, is, is that's what's happening in life. That's what's happening in churches. People are going by what culture dictates and what is popular in the moment rather than what Scripture says. And so we think that this is a new deal in churches, but all the way back at the church at Corinth, it was happening as well. So Paul is saying, look, i got to address this. This was not one of the questions that they had submitted to him wanting answers to. This is an observation that Paul made. And so... We see in verse 1, he says, again, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And then there's a heading in the scripture, at least in the New Living Translation, that says, instructions for public worship. He says, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I have passed on to you. That would sound like a great welcome, except you need to read it with a little bit of sarcasm. Paul is being a little sarcastic here because they were not always keeping him in their thoughts. They were not always following the things that he had said. So there's a little bit of sarcasm there. The truth is they often disregarded Paul's teachings. I know what you said, Paul, but we want to do it this way. Just like today. I know what God's word says, but we want to do it this way. That was written then. This is now. This is what we need to do. There's very shaky ground when we do that. They kept a few of the convictions they should have, like almost a child intentionally misbehaving. You ever seen that where you tell tell a child, no, you don't need to do that, and they look at you, and you can tell the wheels are spinning. And then they're thinking, well, what can, how much can I get away with? And sometimes they just cross that line, and that's when you have to, however the Lord has called you to discipline that child to do that, because they need to know those boundaries. These Christians in the church of Corinth were testing the boundaries that Paul had taught. And then we see in verse 3 that's really the main theme of this chapter is Paul is setting up the subject of the entire chapter that reinforces God's established rules of order. Let me say that again. What we are talking about today is not a man-made theory. It is not a traditional Baptist thing. This is Scripture, okay? This is what we are reading, and this is God's rules of order. And the roles and the responsibilities that he has created us to have. And also, these are what we will be held accountable to. Look at verse 3. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, I can already tell that the temperature in the room raised just a little bit as we read that verse. But what it means is when he's talking about that, that the head or the, the, of every man is Christ, 
Look at it as that is the word. Let me show you this slide. To be the head of something means authority or leader or shepherd. If you want to look the Greek word up, I put it up there for you to show you for yourself. But now as you see that, reread the verse with that understanding where it would say, but there is one thing I want you to know, the head or the authority of every man is Christ. The authority or leader or shepherd of every woman is man. And the authority or leader of Jesus Christ is God. What we're seeing here is that there is an established order established by God. Just as if you go into the military, there is rank and file. If you work a job, you know that there are positions. Some people deserve that position. You may think they don't, but still, they are your superior. There is an order in what was happening in the church at Corinth. They were disregarding God's order. Look at verse 4. A man dishonors his head, or in other words, he dishonors Christ, if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head or dishonors her husband if she prays or prophesies without a cover, without a covering on their head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear head coverings, she should cut off all her hair. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut, her head shaved, she should wear a cover. Some translations say she should have long hair. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, this is not a lesson on feminine hygiene or, or male hairstyles. I'm not telling you that you need to go and, and, and pray about the hairstyle that you have. But what I want you to understand is that in that culture... What you had on your head or what you didn't have on your head made a difference. It made a statement. And so when these women were coming to church with their heads uncovered, what they were saying because of God's established rule of order, what they were saying was, nobody's going to be my boss. No man's going to tell me what to do. We've got freedom in Christ. And I'm just going to go with this. And it was causing havoc in the church. Because again, as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, they've been fighting about everything, right? And why? Because there were some that thought everything they were doing was right. And there were some that thought everything they were doing was wrong. And so, we see here that there is a God's order of submission, folks. Everybody has to answer to someone. Jesus is the authority. He is the leader of every man. Man is the authority and leader over woman. And God is the authority over Jesus. And oh my goodness, I can just feel the daggers. I mean, Donald's looking over my points. He's like, are you going to say that? Well, (laughs) I don't have a choice. But look, again, this is regarding worship. All right? This is, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack that, so just hang on there with, for a minute, ladies. Uh, yes, just hang on. And guys, don't think you dodged a bullet, cause it's coming. Alright? I felt it, you're gonna feel it too. So this is God's established authority. Note, this is, this is why I said this earlier, and even all week, my stomach's been in knots preaching this, like, oh James, they're not gonna like this. And I had to realize that God doesn't care if you don't like this. 
Because this is so counterculture. And you can write me off and you can tell me I'm a fun, fundamental fuddy-duddy or you can tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's fine. You go ahead and talk about me how you want. But you cannot argue with God's Word. I know in today's culture and climate this seems so controversial. If this would have been preached ten years ago, it would have been a totally different thing. But why is that? Because the world has fallen so far off of God's design. They have tried to put that furniture together without looking at the description. There is an owner's manual to being a person alive in this world and being a Christian. And it is this. And people have disregarded it for their social media feeds and their hashtags and their favorite news programs. It is essential to understand that being under authority does not equal inferiority. Let me say that just one more time. Just because it says that you under you are under someone's authority does not mean that you are inferior to them. Just because it says that the the man is the head of a wife, it does not mean that the wife is inferior. It doesn't mean that she's not special. It doesn't mean that she matters. It is not a license for the man to do what he wants. Because remember, who is the man accountable to? Jesus Christ. Men, do you understand if your wife is not where they need to be with the Lord, Jesus is looking at you. And ladies, if your husband is not where he needs to be, he's looking at you. And ultimately, even Jesus looked to his Father. There is an order. That God has established. God's created order. Many feel like their rights come before God's order. Well, I have a right to do this. I, you know, days are different, preacher. That Bible is outdated. You get on a slippery slope when you start saying that. This is either God's word, all in all, or it is not. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, that's a decision for you to make, but it doesn't the truth that is within these pages. Culture rejects God-ordained roles as women and God's design as gender. We are so backwards right now. Yes, I know many years ago there was the feminist movement and there's still, you know, there's, there's this disagreement on what men and women should be. And now it went from the roles of the husband and the wife to then it went to what kind of gender can marry. And now it is who can be a boy and who can be a girl and who can play on the team and who can't. And if you say anything against it, it is hateful. No, it's not hateful. It's just the way God designed it. The passage is not dealing with fashion trends in worship. It's dealing with submission. In the Jewish culture, when Paul was writing this, to wear a head covering or a veil, in some other translations, it was a public symbol of being under the authority or protection of one another. So that's why Paul was saying, look, if you are a male and you have your head covered, In the worship service, that's what he's talking about, in the worship service, you are showing that you are answering to somebody else and you are subordinate and you don't need to do that. And if you are a a female and you come into the worship service with your head uncovered, then that shows that you're telling everybody that nobody's your boss. 
And that the authority of the church and the authority in your home doesn't matter to you. You're going to be your own person. Some of you people say, yeah, okay, let's do that. It's not, I'm not saying that that's the case today. But in that culture, that's the way it was. In the culture when this was written, a woman not covering her head would be seen as an act of defiance. In other words, no man's going to have any authority over me. And evidently, the Corinthian women were coming to church with their heads improperly covered, thus causing disorder and disrespect in the services. Maybe they claimed due to Jesus they no longer had to wear head coverings. But the problem was it was causing a divide in the church, which what we saw, again, as I said earlier, that has been the running theme in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, just to give you a little cultural background here, in that day, for a woman to have her head uncovered or shaved, it was not a look that you wanted to portray if you were going to church. For a woman to not cover her head or shave her head showed that she was not in good standing. That's why he says, if you're going to forsake your head covering, go all the way and shave your head and identify yourself with the women of the world. Yes, because the women in that culture of that day, if they wore their head, hair uncovered, head uncovered, or they shaved their head, they were either a prostitute or a lesbian, or somebody that just didn't want to take anything from anybody. That's what the women in the church were identifying with when they came to church. Now, that's not the case today. There are many beautiful women that have long hair and short hair. That's not the culture we are in here in Anderson, South Carolina. But in some parts of the world, even in the Middle East, it's still alive and well today. But these women, they didn't care what it looked like. They were going to make their statement. So our second point, instead of church being united in their worship of God, they were challenging God's order of submission in the church. And that's what it boils down to. If you have more than one head, you are a monster, right? I, I You know, when I'm, I'm counseling couples, whether they're getting married or they've been married, I'll tell them, look, your homework is to go home and y'all put on your favorite song to dance to and then both of you try to lead and see how that works out. A lot of, a lot of toes stepping on, right? Well, we see here, verse 7 says, A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping. There again, when worshiping. For man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. And women reflect man's glory. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under his authority. Paul just basically took this Corinthian church and went back to Genesis chapter 2 and reminded them of the creation story. Charles Swindoll says in his commentary Bible, he says, Here Paul addresses the practice of Corinth that men would not have their heads covered during worship because this would be a disgrace because the covering of the head with a veil in that culture was a symbol of submission. So for a man to wear a head covering would be the same as rejecting God's authority 
while leading in public prayer. Likewise, a woman who prayed or prophesied without a veil would be guilty of the same sin of disgrace because of the cultural meaning of that symbol. Again, look, Paul is not saying here that women need to stay in the back and be quiet and not do anything. Some of them are still prophesying. Some of them are still teaching, but they're doing it with respect and submission of the offices of the church and the setup of God's order in the families. Do you know what a bad shape our church and many other churches would be in if the women didn't lead? We'd be closing the doors. Cultural symbols may vary, but the principle behind the symbols is timeless and should be applied in every situation. The authority of Christ over his church transcends anything that is in culture. Verses 11-12, But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. Again, he is doing creation 101 here. Just like today, people are so mixed up on what, what we're up. God made a mistake. I was, the doctor said I was one thing, but I think I'm another. Taking, taking God out of the picture and saying, I know better than God? And Paul is telling them, look, you think you know better than God, but this is the established order. Christians must remember that God first created man And then woman, again, she is not inferior. As a matter of fact, God created her to be a helper to the man. God gave Adam a job, and Adam was trying to do that, and he looked at Adam and said, You know what, Adam? I see that you're alone. I see that you need a helper. So my last and finest and greatest creation, we just talked about this on Mother's Day, my last and greatest creation is going to be woman. And I'm going to bring her to you so that you can work together on what I've called you to do. Matter of fact, God created Adam first, and he gave the responsibility of Eve to him. People say, oh, I I tell you what, it's because Eve ate that apple that we're in this shape today. Nope, it's because a man didn't take responsibility for. If you go back and read it, Adam was there too. Every And i, I got to say this, again, woman is not inferior to man. And what Paul is teaching here, I want to say this clearly, every man is not the head of every woman. This is not a passage to say that every woman needs to cower to every man that they encounter. That is not what Paul is teaching. What Paul is teaching is, is that for the authorities that are in the church, that there is submission. For the authorities in the family, there is submission. But submission is not going to be a big deal if the men are leading in the way that they should. Just a word to men here. The failure of men to lead in the home and in church and to lead the way that Jesus would lead has been a chief cause of the rejection of male authority, and it is inexcusable. Like I said, guys, we're going to get it too. Paul and I are not asking you to consider men being the authority or the point man of your family in the church The truth is you are, whether you are doing it or not. 
At the end of the day, look, I know some of you, all of us have, not all of us, I, I, hold on, back up, James. I don't want to say anything that's, that's off-putting, but I would say all of us have women in our lives. And some women are stronger leaders than others. And God has created it that way. But that does not mean that still the man is the head of the household. It does not mean that he, whenever he leads, it may be giving her the runway that she needs to do what she needs to do. But at the end of the day, God's not going to, men, hear me men, God's not going to look at your wife and say, well, thank you for getting the kids to church. Thank you for making, um, thank you for making spirituality of your family a priority because I know your husband was really too busy for that. He was busy working and doing all that kind of stuff. There will not be that conversation. It will be you, man. Why didn't you do what you were supposed to do? It's not a suggestion, folks. It's God's design and order. That is why we have cities that are overwhelmed with crime because the men are not doing their job. That is why we have children that are struggling in their identities because the man is not doing their job. That is why we have single women and and married women in horrible relationships because the man is not doing his job because we feel like our opinion of how order should be is not the same as what God says it is. Now look, you can get mad at me. You can, I'm never coming back to this church again, and I would hate to see that. And you may be saying there, look, preacher, I know what you're saying. Uh, you are saying right now that um, we're, we're fine, preacher. We're fine. You know, we're not doing the way God has laid it out, but we're doing fine. I would ask you, are you, or could you be doing better? Because I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. If you're living against any order other than God's order, it's not all that God created it to be. And then, men and women need each other. There is no place for one lording authority over the other. And then woe to the men in leadership that take advantage over the authority over women in the family and church. There are churches and denominations and families that have been wrecked by men that took the sacred call that God had given them and discarded it for sinful pleasure. And God will judge that too. God can judge. God can forgive. But there is no excuse for it. Those of us that are in leadership, whether it be the pastor, the deacon, a teacher, the piano organ player, whoever, all of us who are men, we need to to treasure and watch how we lead the women that God has placed in our life, whether they're our wives or not. Because if we have some kind of title or some kind of position in a church, God is holding us accountable to lead them responsibly. And then verses 13 through 16. Paul urges the church to use some common sense. (laughs) And that's really what it is. Common sense. Judge for yourselves. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it is disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't long hair 
a woman's pride and joy. Again, this is that culture. There are guys that have long hair now. There are girls that wear short hair right now. In our culture, it's not that big a deal. But in this, in worship, it was. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this. And neither do God, God's other churches. We cover what it meant in Paul's days for a woman to have her head uncovered and for a man to have long hair. It was thought to be a sign of male prostitution. So again, I want you to understand in that day why Paul was writing that because that's what it was representing. It was saying, look, we want to be so much like the Corinthian culture that is not Christian that we're going to come in and we're going to just come as we are. And I don't care what it does to those that don't agree with it. I'm not going to come under their leadership. I'm not going to come under their authority. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's my rights, not about him. That's what they were doing. If a Christian man or woman would come to church to worship while letting their appearance represent someone who is immoral and rebellious, it would be a roadblock to them telling others about Jesus Christ. If I act in a way or dress in a way or present myself in a way that is not a Christian way to present myself, it'll be harder for me to tell people about Jesus. But it's not just for the preacher. It's about for everyone who calls the Lord their Savior. The message's take on verse 16. If you ever read the message, it's a great uh, translation kind of to... uh, It takes the regular translation of Scripture and it makes it more like a story. And this is what verse 16 says in the translation of the message. All God's churches in that culture see it this way. I don't want you standing out as an exception. Paul is not preaching this sermon for knowledge alone. Paul instructs the church that they must make these changes to their hearts in order to restore unity in worship in the Corinthian church. You see, the church must actively defend itself against those that seek to tear down God's ordained plan of authority and submission. I've seen it in churches before. There are people that the only reason they come to worship and the only reason they come to a church is to exert a little bit of power and to start a little bit of chaos and drama because they are bored at their house so they can go cause drama at somewhere else. Or also, you know, all these churches that are having church growth, when it's not church growth, it's swapping cheap. They go from one church to another church to another church. Because there's no unity. There's no common ground. The church must actively defend itself against those that seek to tear down God-ordained plans. It's almost like we all need to be working together. Some of you, I know it, I was the same way. I tried to play my mom against my dad all the time. If I knew there was something I wanted to do, I would ask mom first, and then she would say, ask your dad. Then when I go to dad, I'd say, mom said I could do this, what do you think? Or let's say that the uh, the doctor is giving you exercises to do when you get home, and you say to your spouse, can you please help me do that? And they say, ah, you'll be fine, I'm going to watch my rerun of Hogan's Heroes in Gilligan Island. You're not working together. 
Or like the coach telling the kids, look, you need to train like this. And the parents saying, I can't take it today. We'll just go next week. When you start having authorities that are working against one another, especially when it comes to the children, when they're, when they're not unified in their discipline, when they're not unified in their love, when they're not unified in their commitment, the kids know how to play that. And when a church is not unified, the church members know how to play that, and those outside of the church know how to paint that and to play that. Because if they can look at this church and any other church and say, look, I've been to that church and they're not what they preach, that goes out into the community. And our hopes of spreading Jesus are diminished. I'll wrap up with this. A church must fight against cultural influences that oppose God's order and cause disunity. You see, the worship services have become known for the way people were presenting themselves in a church rather than worshiping God. Apparently, some Greek women in the Corinthian church were coming in to the worship services without veils on. Other women may have seen that going on and said, well, they didn't come to church with a veil. I'm not going to put mine on either. I can see a, woman, a good God-fearing woman that's been wearing a veil all her life. All these women have come in from Corinth. They're not Christians. They don't know any better. And they come in with no veils on. And so she's looking at her husband going, and just taking it off. Just an act of defiance. People were divided. But Paul's lessons still apply today. The principles that Paul taught here are to govern the church and individual Christians in their life and their conduct as follows. Worship thrives where there is unity. Men and women must fulfill the roles that God ordained. We must conduct ourselves as a man that is worthy of leading someone. And women are to act with dignity and respect without doing anything that would bring dishonor to herself or her family. So we all have to do that. It's not one is greater than the other. It's just God says an order. And to fight against that order is a fight of futility that where it may be working, but it's not what it could be. God is a God of order. If there is no order or disunity in your worship, excuse me, if there is no order or if there is disunity in worship, then I can guarantee you this, my friends, God is at the center of it. Look, I've been in churches that were more known for their fights than their faith. Why is that? Because God's agenda was not in the middle of it. It's time for some worship restoration. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time today. And Lord, uh, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to offer an altar call today. It doesn't mean that if there is someone here today that wants to know you as their Savior and Lord, and they don't have to walk down an aisle today, they can come see me after church. We can go into a room on the side. We can <coughs> We can talk somewhere else, but but today the, the altar call is is this. We have people sitting in these pews 
that there is something that has been said in the word, your word, that they know they need to change in themselves and in their family and in the church. The altar call is this. Give them the strength to go do it.